When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, if you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code podcast10. That's podcast10 to get 10% off our essential membership for the first year. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. And now to the top analysis of today's markets. Recession, past, present, or future? Is it going to happen? Where are we? Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. We're going to take a look at the state of the U.S. economy today and from there figure out whether small cap stocks should have a place in your portfolio. Joining me today is Francis Gannon, Co-Chief Investment Officer at Royce Investment Partners, and my colleague, Andrea Stanel Larson. Hi to both of you. Hi, Hello. It's great to see you. Andreas, I want to kick off with you. Uh, because it, this is a little bit of a confusing landscape, right? So if you if you look at the data, we're getting mixed signals, which we'll talk about in the moment. And then if you look at the market, here we go. Risk assets rallying, NASDAQ leading the way, Tesla, one of the biggest movers, even though it was so sort of doom and gloom and there was so much angst leading up to it. Um, Rao was tweeting about the NDX chart today, the possibility that it may be breaking out. What do you make of this? Well, I find it interesting that we see a very strong rally in tech and consumer discretionary alongside the good old economy as well. So we see a big rally in industrials, energy today as well, and also in the materials sector. So how can the good old economy and the new economy rally at the same time? I think it's all linked to China um, because if China is truly reopening, and I think we get um, hints that China is at least open for business now, uh, flight flights are back, uh, all that stuff, right? Then China is obviously a big importer of commodities. So that's a demand boost to industrials, materials, all those sectors. Uh, but China is also kind of the factory of the worldwide. So we have a big boost to global supply coming from China as well alongside this reopening. And when there is a big supply boost, we should actually expect the overall price pressure to fade, um, allowing sectors that are really interest rate sensitive, such as technology, consumer discretionary to boom alongside the good old economy uh, of industrialized companies. So it is a weird mix, but it all makes sense if it is driven by China. Yeah, that makes sense. And I know that's why you did uh, an episode on the China reopening, because it's so important. Um, but there's there's so let's talk about the data. That's also so. The, so the, the rally in the sectors makes sense. If you look at about China reopening, what about when it comes to the economy, the global economy? So we see that U.S. GDP came in 2.9 percent in the fourth quarter. I've had a bunch of people who were pretty bearish and, and really looking for a pretty sharp recession say recently, listen, I'm not necessarily changing my view, but I'm but I have to say that I've been impressed by the resilience of the U.S. economy. So. 
you know, do we look at that? Do we pay more attention to the fact that weekly jobless claims came in at a nine month low and some of these other signals are weak or, or is it that maybe we are going to get this soft landing? So what, how are you thinking about this mix? Well, if, if you look at the GDP report today on the surface, it's super strong. Um, but if we look a bit beneath the surface, I think it's a mixed bag, bag of goodies, to be honest. Um, take, for example, the consumption and investment pace through Q4. Um, it's essentially flatlining, even though we have a very strong GDP number. Uh, so on top of consumption and investments, you have inventories, exports, and public sector investments. And those three categories uh, make up a large portion of this growth. Um, so if inventories are building, it's not necessarily a good signal, right? Um, and secondly, if you look at um, some of the underlying strong gauges of long-term demand, um, I think in, um, in particular about housing and durable goods here, um, then we actually have a contraction in the fourth quarter. So you can get the conclusion you want, Maggie, and that's the mm. issue with economic data right now. Um, it is extremely volatile. Uh, it is flawed by issues with seasonal adjustments due to the pandemic volatility. Um, and it's the same issue we have with GDP numbers, uh, as we've been discussing with employment numbers for a, um, a series of months already. Uh, so I think it's tricky to figure out the truth here, to be honest. Yeah. I, I, and that's a, and that's a, an honest answer, right? So as we're looking at, looking at this, I think that you, you we're seeing two camps. A lot of people came into the year really negative, really bearish. Uh, we talked about that yesterday with Imran when it was when it came to positioning. So they've had to cover a lot of shorts. Rao suggesting today there's probably a battle going on still with that. Um, we have Roger commenting uh, in the chat right now. The bottom's not in. So you definitely have people that are concerned. But there are other people who are saying, you know what, if we've been in recession, even if it's mixed and hard to figure out, maybe the maybe the worst is over. Maybe I should be positioning and getting back into risk assets. Where do you fall? Because I know in your latest Steno Signals, which is out today, you're kind of warning us not to get too comfortable when it comes to risk assets. We obviously can't go into the whole thesis, but just give us a teaser. What what are you why are you so concerned? Well, I, I've actually been positive on equities uh, throughout the beginning of the year. Um, I discussed this in length with Raul uh, on our first uh, Friday show in Real Vision Daily Briefing of the Year, and uh, we agreed that everyone was positioned for doom and gloom. Um, and as of now, we don't have doom and gloom. At least we cannot confirm doom and gloom in the economic data. Uh, so it makes sense to um, to breathe a sigh of relief right now for, for equity investors. Um, I think the reason why we see such optimism, despite all of the fears around a recession, is that we see a boost of liquidity coming from the U.S. Treasury um, due to the debt ceiling. Uh, so the U.S. Treasury is simply not allowed to hold a lot of idle cash uh, as soon as the debt ceiling is in force. Um, and that is what, what is happening um, day in and day out now. They need to spend idle cash that they hold at, the, at a deposit at the Federal Reserve. And on the receiving end of that cash, we have you and I, Mackie, or our banks, right? Uh, and that is a positive uh, tailwind for, for equities when the US Treasury simply just pumps liquidity into the market. But that's a temporary effect. Mm -hmm. um, I, I mean, hopefully at some point, politicians will agree on a new debt ceiling level. Uh, and as soon as they do, 
uh, the U.S. Treasury will be allowed to rebuild the war chest, so to speak, um, and that will drag the liquidity in the other direction. Uh, and we should remember that the Federal Reserve still intends on removing U.S. dollars from commercial banks to bring down inflation. So if the Fed continues to remove dollars due to the QT program, alongside the U.S. Treasury withdrawing dollars, due to the rebuilding of their war chest at the Fed, then we basically have a double whammy of dollars leaving the market at the same time. And I think that's the time to worry. So that's really interesting and really important. And, and I think something you're going to continue to focus on. So yes, we can look at the sort of economic fundamentals and what's happening with the data, even though it's it's a bit murky and skewed by COVID. But you've also, you can't forget about QT and this liquidity story that's playing in the background. So that that seems to me, like even if we get a soft landing or even if we get recession light, you've got to worry that there might be this sort of, you know, end of second half event that's going to be coming at it. Highly encourage you all to go check out Andreas's full thinking around this um, in the in the in the latest episode of his show that's on the platform. Hit the QR code um, and you can find out how you can get access to that. I'm going to grab a quick question before we let you go, Andreas, because I know it's late there. Colin and Oliver both asking uh, on the on our platform a similar question. Are investors expecting too much from China's reopening? And Oliver asking, you know, if you think Chinese products are going to lower costs by more of them coming into the market, basically, you know, m more products uh, on the world market, would this be a time to look at companies like Alibaba, et cetera, that sell those products? How are you thinking about that? Well, I think Alibaba is up 100% since late fall. So uh, somebody, maybe somebody a bit, else is on bit that late idea. to join that party. Um, but um, and, I mean, it's a really good question because ultimately the um, Chinese reopening story will be decided by us in the West. Mm. Uh, we don't have a culture of consumerism in China. So we are the clients. Uh, and unless we buy the goods produced by Alibaba, uh, or at least um, other companies in, in China and the um, APAC region, they will not get the grand reopening that they're hoping for. Uh, so I think we will decide, and I'm still very skeptical on the growth momentum when we get on the other side of summer. Yeah, a lot a lot to try to untangle before then. Andreas, thank you so much for jumping in and helping us walk through some of that macro. So appreciate you. My pleasure. All right, we'll see you soon. Uh, I was just teasing Andreas and he barely sleeps. We've got another one that um, that does that. Thank you, Andreas. Francis, let's, let's bring you in here because this has been a really interesting conversation and I'm curious how you're all approaching it because it's really uncertain, isn't it? Somebody referred to it, uh, one of our regulars, as a hit and run kind of market. Really hard to get a clear thesis here. There's so many mixed signals. What is your view? How are you thinking about this in terms of small caps? What do you expect? We think there's been a massive change in the market. Obviously, last year was a bear market. Small caps declined 32%, peak to trough. The average stock was down about 45% at the lows. But the opportunity set we think being created is really being driven not only by valuations. Small caps are the cheapest asset class in the U.S. these days, even uh, at, at the end of last year. But it's also being driven by the fact that rates are higher. Free money is over. Zero interest rate policy is over. And so... We're going to start looking at different ways to find uh, alpha, I think, in the overall market. And where everybody's been investing over the past decade, if you will, the same type of stocks, uh, that period is over. So we're actually thinking 
where that we are on the cusp of what could be a really exciting small cap cycle in the United States. Um, and they tend to last on average about a decade. So I think this is a unique opportunity within small caps to look ahead. In fact, Maggie, I would tell you the one year number for the Russell 2000 today is ahead of the one year number uh, for the Russell uh, 1000. Uh, so small caps are already starting to work, even though it's been a down market. Yeah, that's so interesting. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. How, you know, when, when, when we think of, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I, I always was told the sort of, you know, the thinking was that when we're in this rising interest rate environment, cost of capital getting higher, that can really hurt small cap companies. Is that still the case based on the way they operate these days? And um, how are you looking at that? Yeah, so we went back and we looked at every inflationary period uh, going back to the 1930s. And what we found was small caps outperformed inflation in every decade. And it's a pretty significant uh, thing, I think. And I think what we're hearing from companies today, and when you think about small caps, they're just more agile. They're more, or more adapt. You know, they can do more in, a, in an environment and have pricing power when maybe some of the larger companies cannot. Um, and what we're hearing from the companies today is that you're going to continue to see, and I, I believe this to be true, uh, pricing power. And pricing is going to be stickier uh, for their particular products that they sell into a lot of these large businesses uh, for a period of time. So I would expect margins to be a little bit better within the small cap space, even with some of the pricing power, uh, uh, pricing uh, fears that people are talking about. That's so interesting, the pricing power side of the story. Uh, we were just talking about, you know, watching uh, tech take off, even even more speculative names like Tesla, if you want to call it that, or maybe popular names. Um, there was so much concern about that. Does that, if you see that sort of enthusiasm returning for big tech, does that help if the broader if the market's going up again does that help small caps or do we see a situation where we see money again sort of dominating that area flowing into that area at the expense of small caps i think that's all part of the natural process that the market's going to be going through i think people still want to own these large cap companies that's how they've been almost uh programmed to own over the past 10 years yeah but you're going to start seeing more and more stories about how the smaller end of the market not only from a valuation perspective is cheaper than the large cap growth area of the market um, by a wide margin i mean if you look at we do a study looking at ev to ebit uh over a 25-year basis and large cap is measured by the russell 1000 uh, growth index is still way above its 25-year average while small caps is measured by the Russell 2000, the Russell 2000 value, and even the Russell 2000 growth index are trading way below. So I think there is that opportunity for people to find value in the other end of the market where there has been or beginning to be this regime change in the overall market. So uh, gravitating back to what we know is kind of what people want to do. But I can tell you, coming out of most bear markets, what worked going into that bear market traditionally does not work coming out of that bear market. And so I think the next five years are going to be dramatically different than the, the previous uh, 10 
Yeah. And we've heard that. And we, I've also heard what made you money in the last decade, forget about bear market, isn't going to work again. The circumstances are changing, those sort of negative interest rates. It's a different regime. You've got to think about things differently. Great, great question. But also, Go ahead. think about, too, I'm sorry to interrupt, but think yep. about the fact that you had such high concentration in the S&P 500. You know, you had the nifty 50 back in the 70s. And in August of 2020, you had the identical amount of concentration in, of the top five names in the S&P 500. When that happens, history has shown, when that starts to unroll, unravel a little bit, what you find is small caps take off on a relative basis versus large. And here we are at a valuation moment that I think really uh, even exacerbates that, that potential for the market. That's so interesting. Talk to me about that a little bit more because there may be some folks listening who yeah. don't remember the nifty 50. Yeah. So explain, explain the dynamics and why did they take off? What happened? So typically, I mean, we've seen three moments in time uh, where you've seen really significant concentration in the top five names of the S&P. Going back, you know, 73 would have been the Nifty 50. You had a group of stocks, you know, that, that like IBM um, and uh, Polaroid and things like that. that <laughs> Whoa. You know, are now gone. <laughs> That's uh, a cautionary uh, tale right and, there. <laughs> right? The next kind of concentration level uh, would have been much lower, but it was still a significant moment. Would have been the tech bubble in March of 2000. And, you know, where GE was one of those stocks. And then the most recent one were the FANG stocks. In August of 2020, you saw the exact same or very similar amount of concentration in the S&P 500, similar to what we saw back in the 70s around the Nifty 50. What we did in, in a particular study was we overlaid the relative performance of small caps versus large caps. And what we found was after these concentrated moments in the overall market, the broader market is measured by the S&P 500, you see small caps take off. And you're mm -hmm. just beginning to see that unravel. Uh, you saw that, you know, from a multiple standpoint last year, unravel with the large cap stocks. Large caps, you know, didn't hit the their low until October, while small caps actually ended, uh, well, for the moment at least, they hit their lows in June of last year. So um, I think it's just another reason why to start shifting your thinking as an individual around the market to other areas that are cheap from a valuation perspective, but using history as your guide shows that there's a lot of opportunity. That's so interesting. I just had a, a, a conversation. It, it really echoes this different market, different asset class uh, that'll be hitting on the upside series. But saying just if you if you just revert to the mean, if you just see a diversification, not even a full on in, you know, we believe this is if you just see more diversification, these areas are going to benefit just because it was abnormally tilted and concentrated in a certain area. That's correct. And, and active management is going to be the key, I think, uh -huh. in the next decade as well, because the, the money that's going to flow hopefully back into the market at some point is not going to be into these same vehicles over and over again where everybody owned the same stocks, right? I mean, how many passive vehicles or ETFs are there out there that Apple computer might be in, mm -hmm. right? Of course, the market cap weighted indices to kind of get more and more into those particular um, uh, companies. And I just see that starting to unravel. And as that happens, I think, and as that happens, you'll see other areas of the market benefit of which we believe small cap is one of them. That's so interesting. Uh, do you, all right, let's get this question in and I'll, I'll just hold my thought for a moment because it was a really good one. JB asks, uh, does small cap value or small cap growth perform better in inflationary environments? Great question, JB. So um, it depends, uh, JB, to be honest with you, but Small caps in general will do better. My guess is it would be small cap value that would do better over growth. 
uh, growth, uh, you know, part of the problem when you look at the different Russell indices um, is that you have these non-earning portion of the market, right? So you have within the Russell 2000, it's about 42% of the index is com comprised of non-earning companies, really led by healthcare, specifically biotechnology companies. So that would really show up within the growth area of the overall market, while the value area of the market is more, um, you know, I would say real industry-based, but one of the largest sectors there would be financials. So I would guess that in this inflationary environment, you would see value perform better than growth um, across time. This, this is a really important point, I think, because we tend to, and to be honest with you, I think this is partly the sort of automated 401 selection if you're sitting in the U.S. where you, you're given these big buckets and one of them is small cap. So it's this monolithic giant small cap. You, you, do, you do need to think about it in a different way. The fact that there is, if you are prone to to favoring value based on your framework, there is small cap value, there is small cap growth. Um, yep. What else do we need to understand about the nuances? Do we need to consider geography? Do we need to consider sector? Well, I think you have to consider quality as a factor as well. And you know, quality, I, I, I fully admit, is one of the most overused words in the investment world. But if you measure quality, we tend to measure it as in return on invested capital in terms of leverage financial leverage on the balance sheet. And what you find is, is the better quality businesses, which have underperformed during this last decade because money was free, um, who don't need necessarily access to the capital markets going forward, are actually going to be the ones that are going to continue to grow here and compound going forward. So I would layer into your thought process, quality is an area within small cap that really represents a lot of opportunity. Mm. Uh Francis, do you look at small caps internationally? Ralph is asking. Uh, we do. Yeah. So, so what does that look like, and what are the considerations there? Is it the same thesis? Yes, very much so. And I think the thesis there is is really driven again by this idea of quality within the the, the international space. Mm -hmm. um, but it's also driven by the fact that when the market tends to rebound, and this is true domestically as well as internationally. When the market tends to rebound, small caps will outperform is, is what history has shown us. And we expect the same thing to take place on the international uh, scene as well, as well as here in the domestic markets. That's so interesting. You were talking about uh, the idea of, of, you know, the heavy concentration. So in those three periods that we saw, two thoughts and questions I had about that. Did we, did, was, it, was it for a short period, small caps outperformed in the wake of that when you saw maybe the kind of, you know, I don't want to say blowout diversification, but they yeah. fell out of favor for a reason. In the in the 2000s, it was the dot-com bust. So obviously, we're going to see diversification. Is it lasting or is it a, a, a sort of you know ricochet response, knee-jerk response that we have to be careful of uh, going the other way? Yeah, it's not a tactical reaction. You know, I mm -hmm. think it's it's a sustained reaction that you see in the market. And in fact, the small cap cycles when they begin. They last for a long period of time. So, you know, they average on average a decade, a decade. And so we expect that to be happening uh, soon, if not now, in the markets today. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. 
And then what about private equity? So this this jumped into my mind when you were talking about passive investing. Because mm-hmm. we can have a lot of conversations and the jury's out as to whether we'll ever return uh, to active management. I think some people think there will be a, a shift, but but how far it goes is up for, for grabs. When we're looking at the big surge in, in venture capital and private equity, the fact that companies stayed long, private longer, did that impact the small cap space? Would you, would you have seen companies that went public at a uh, you know, in the more mid-size, just because you had all of that, those companies staying private for longer, did that have an impact? When you think about the small cap asset class and you think about private equity and alternatives in general, I like to think of small caps almost as the original alternative asset class. Um, and I think that's that's very true today. Um, so you can you can look at them a little bit differently than you can the rest of the market. Yes, we did see uh, companies stay private longer and go public at bigger valuations. We had an uptick in the number of companies within the small cap space, probably eight, you know, 2018 or 19, when a lot of those SPACs started coming public. Um, a lot of those are, have now kind of gone down into the micro cap space. But there has been a pretty consistent number of public companies that are small caps. Uh, and, and I don't really see that changing. It is one of the last inefficient asset classes out there. Um, and not a lot of research on it. So you have to do a lot of your own heavy lifting uh, in terms of understanding these, bu- these businesses and, and owning them for long periods of time. Yeah. And I know when we're talking about, when you're talking about, you know, an emphasis on value, I'm assuming, or, or quality rather, I'm assuming you're talking about the strength of the balance sheet, outstanding debt and the quality of management, right? That's correct. All of the above. And when you see, you know, rates moving from where they are, um, you know, zero interest rates or the tenure going from 150 at the beginning of last year to well over 3%, over 4% at one point last year, that's going to start affecting the cash flow of these very debt-driven companies. Um, and those companies that have been using debt to grow and not really using the cash flow or have the cash flow to grow. So I expect there to be a lot of M&A uh, within the small cap space mm-hmm. that small cap comp- companies buying other small cap companies, but you're also going to see a lot of M&A, I think, with larger companies coming down into the small cap space, looking for growth um, and looking for businesses and way to grow in what should be a slowing economic environment. So uh, we have a question from Joe. What looks better right now, domestic small cap versus international small cap? Well, uh, they're both, from a valuation perspective, quite cheap. You know, domestics have not done, domestic small caps um, have underperformed for a period of time. So from a valuation perspective, we know, as we said, they're, they're, very, they're very cheap and we expect them. I mean, it, it sounds nuts, but one of the most common things you think about is after low return periods, you expect to see some higher return periods. The small caps as measured by the Russell 2000 actually finished last year um, with a five-year annualized return of less than 5%. In fact, it was 3.8%. And when you see that, uh, historically, not only do they do better over the next five years, they tend to outperform that five-year average. And the five-year average for the Russell 2000 is 10.5%. Our studies show that, that the next five years after these low return periods, 100% of the time you'll see positive uh, returns, but also you're going to see a return of greater than the, the five-year average of 10.5%. The average is about 14.9%. So the domestic part of the space we think is really interesting. I think the international part of the equation from a small cap perspective is is a couple of years behind. And what I mean by that is they're just 
further behind in terms of evaluations. Uh, no, not from a valuation perspective, they're they're just as cheap. But what you're seeing is the markets are a little bit behind. And I'm, and and what I mean by that is they haven't performed versus large cap in a, in a period of time. And I think they are just on the cusp as well of what could be a really interesting market. Now, granted, there's other things you have to worry about outside of the U.S., uh, obviously politically, geopolitically, um, and some of the other issues, but they're basically facing the same type of issues as we find domestically in terms of tightening federal, tightening monetary policy and fiscal policy, et cetera. Um, so we would view them as, as, as another great opportunity. And, and again, versus large caps outside of the United States, small caps are real live individual businesses. And what I mean by that, they're number one or number two uh, in terms of what they do on a global basis, even they, though they might be considered a small cap company outside of the United States. And so when you look at small cap companies outside the US and you look at some of those indices, what you find is these are not the large um, telecom companies or you know, big uh, regulated businesses. These are a lot of individual businesses, uh, smaller businesses that um, have really important businesses that sell all over the world and generate revenue from different pockets. Mm. So is there a sector that you, within small caps that you feel particularly bullish on? Well, one of the sectors that we've been focusing on for a period of time here is industrials. Industrials is one of the larger sectors uh, for us in terms of holding. It's a very diverse area of the market, um, but I think it's an area that um, has gotten unduly hurt. And I think there's a lack of understanding in terms of owning what it means to own some of these great uh, industrial businesses, be it machinery businesses or et cetera, that even that are not part of this kind of large cap capital spending that people are going to be worried about if we do enter a recession, but they sell more razors and razor blades, if you will, and will really benefit from just business continuing. And I think that's uh, a great way to play small caps right now is focusing on these more economically sensitive areas of the market that, that got hit quite hard last year mm -hmm. uh, in, in that bear market. You were just, we were talking before we came on the show and you, you, you're just back from Kansas City. It was a late night flight back last yeah. night. What are you, one of the benefits, you know, when you, when you are managing a small cap portfolio is that you go and talk to all the managers um, and that's, that's boots on the ground. People are seeing the economy firsthand. What are you hearing from them? We started the show talking about recession. Did we have one? Is it over? Are we going into one? What are you hearing from the management you talk to? Well, I mean, as, as I said, I think, I think we have been in, you know, over the past year and a half, it seems like talking about a recession. And, and if we do have a recession, it has been or will be the most telegraphed recession we've ever had. And so management teams have been able to prepare for what is supposedly coming down the road because they've all been talking about it for a period of time. What we've heard from the management teams, and we're just starting our small cap um, kind of earnings cycle, if you will, here around fourth quarter earnings. But in previous quarters this year, there was such a difference between or previous quarters last year. There was such a difference between what we were hearing from the management teams and what the major headlines of the day were saying, mm -hmm. um, that they were more positive on their general business. They were seeing a lot of demand, et cetera. Um, and that's not what you would see when you, you heard the headlines on any given day. So a lot of management teams are talking about uh, the stickiness of pricing. A lot of small cap companies have the ability to raise pricing and have pricing power. We've heard from management teams that they don't plan on cutting prices, that you're going to see some stickiness uh, in, in their, their pricing, which I think is actually going to be good and actually might help small cap margins relative to large cap margins going forward. 
so interesting. I mean, that is really such important information. It sounds like inflation may not be uh, declining as rapidly as some had thought if if those uh, businesses or those managements are right. Francis, it's always such an interesting conversation. So if I sort of piece together the takeaway from both you and Andreas. I think that these are this is still a very cloudy, murky, uncertain economic outlook. It's very hard to tell. Uh, where we are in the cycle, if we're you know in the eleventh inning of of this recession, or if we've still got trouble ahead, but it's it doesn't seem like it's as severe as many had feared. Uh, it may be that we've got to look to the sort of liquidity side of things in the second half, according to Andreas. So some some upside, some room, some reason for optimism early on here, but maybe, you know, stay ca- a little cautious through the second half of the year until we get more clarity. And it sounds like small small businesses have already been preparing for that and are really well positioned. People are underweight that sector. And so if we, re- you know, see a return to even historical measures uh, and a move away from the super concentration of mega mega cap tech stocks uh, that small caps should do well and should really outperform that sort of really dismal year they had last year. Is that fair? It is. And I'll leave you with one final fun statistic. We went back and we looked at all the down years for small caps since World War II. And there have been 24 down years in 19 of the following years. Uh, so about 78 per 79% of the time have been positive or up years with an average return of 25 and a half percent. So um, I think there's some opportunity within the small cap space today. The one good thing about being in the basement is there's a long way to go that's up when you're coming off the tough year that was last year. You think they could outperform perform the broader market or is that going too far? I do. I do. It's already started. If you look at the one-year numbers of the Russell 1000 versus the Russell 2000 or the S&P 500 versus the S&P 600, you're, you're already starting to see them outperform. And I wouldn't be surprised if that continues, even if you see a momentary rush back into those, you know, those tech names that you were talking about. Fantastic. Francis, always get to catch up with you and get a pulse on this part of the market. We don't talk about it very often, but it's great when we do. So thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Maggie. Thanks to all of you uh, for the great questions and the great chat. It's been really fun watching some of the comments. Uh, We will, of course, be back same time tomorrow. Harry Melandri is going to be here with Ms. Schneider, so make sure you tune in for that. In the meantime, take care and good luck out there. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.